Let me pray first. Our Father, we do want to thank you that uh, uh, you uh, are the God who leads us into a brand new life. And we pray that we might learn why and how as we study the Bible this evening. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm actually going to read Exodus chapter 12 verse 14 first and then on to verse 20. Exodus chapter 2 verse 14. Exodus chapter 12 verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work should be done on these days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Now on to chapter 13 and verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. <coughs> Excuse me. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days, no leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of the, what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand, 
and a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us up out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice the Lord, all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It should be a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Well, we're going to be learning about this strange feast uh, in a moment. But first, I think Natalie's going to uh, lead uh, our children into uh, uh, their room. And uh, they'll learn what we're learning in a kiddie-friendly way. And... um, will enjoy Natalie a whole lot more than they'll enjoy me. So off they go. Now we prayed, and uh, we're going to uh, study that part of the Bible together. So, if you've lost your page, if you actually shut it, go back to page 55. And let me ask you this question as we start. Well, not so much a question, really, but to make this very, very strange statement, that in order to be free... You need to be a slave. Sounds strange, doesn't it? But then the Bible makes us rethink what we understand about life. Last week, if you were here, we had to rethink that it's only if we believe in God's judgment will we ever find his safety. Now, atheists would say the other it's the other way around. Uh, that actually you don't need to worry about God's judgment and then you'd be safe because, frankly, there's nothing there to worry about in the first place. But the Bible tells us the opposite is true. There's too much history that God does judge those who offend him. But if you take that judgment seriously, then you also see that God creates safety through a substitute who will take his punishment and his judgment in, his, in your place. So it's a constant rethink when you come to the Bible. We've got to start learning to think about life in new and different ways. And tonight's challenge is to think this, that to be completely free, you need to be a slave. 
And we're going to be uh, looking at that, but I know as we even say that, it sounds just so wrong that maybe we need to open our minds to how this might be true, even from our own experience. And let me try and take one uh, example that might just help you to open up your mind to this possibility. That is the example of a mum. See, would you say that uh, a mum uh, is someone who uh, is a bit of a slave uh, to her children in the sense that a mum's life is shaped by kids uh, by day and, and often by night, especially when they're very, very small. But I've noticed something about mums, and especially mums of really, really tiny kids, when they are slaves all the time, uh, that actually the mums seem to be smiling while they're with their children. They talk to them. They absolutely love them. And sometimes mums are even happier with their babies than they are with their husbands, who, as everybody knows, is really, you know, we're fairly undemanding all the time. <laughs> but mums love their kids and love looking after and being slaves to them. And it's a slavery that is actually no slavery at all, isn't it? If you're a mum, is that true, Jay? Yeah. <laughs> now, let's open our minds to think that it might just be possible like that with God as well. And you see that as we come into this part of Exodus chapter 13. And if you missed the story so far, it is that God has liberated his people from a terrible, terrible slavery, from Egyptians who wanted to kill their children and make them work so hard beyond what they were able to do to the point that in the end, the only thing that they could think about was crying out to God, please stop this slavery which is what the children of Israel did at the end of chapter 2. And God did. He brought them out of that horrible slavery. And last week, we looked at uh, the Passover sacrifice, uh, which brought them their freedom. Now, the Passover sacrifice was a one-day thing. It started their year. It was their New Year Day event. And it spelt freedom for them. And then this Feast of Unleavened Bread was, if you like, a continuing of that week, a continuing of that freedom. And so you can read about it in those verses we read, chapter 12, verse 14 to 20, and chapter 13, verses 3 to 10. So was freedom and the unleavened bread was a continuing past of that freedom. And it was linked to the consecration of the firstborn, which was a feast that uh, they put together uh, in the explanation at the same time, to show that when you belong to God, that was uh, the uh, way that you would live. Now, it is easy, isn't it, to say, okay, that is Exodus 2. You know how many years we've had since Exodus chapter 2? Thousands. Why do we want to go back and look at a history lesson? 
Well, what you need to understand is that the Bible feasts are not just there for these people who had something happen to them in their time. But what you discover with the Bible feasts is that they are actually for future generations. Not just for the people who went through it, but for ever and ever and ever people came after them. And you see that in chapter um, uh, 13 and verse 8. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. So it's for other people, not just these guys, but for subsequent people, including us. And so this is not just remembering something in the past through a drama of eating certain foods. This is how future generations are going to live from now on. This is what they will do after the event. Because let me tell you something special about the Bible feasts. The Bible feasts are not just there for us to look back. The Bible feasts are there to draw people in to the same story, into what happened in uh, the time of uh, Moses and the Exodus. Someone wise said that the past in the Bible is never past. It's, sorry, they said the past is never dead. It is not even past. We live in that story today. So, the question to ask is, how can we get into this story? We're living in Dagenham, we're living uh, a very different life. How do we get back into this story? What does it mean for us? Well, what we're being encouraged to do is to think that we are God's slaves, and this passage helps us to think why we are. Gives us two reasons. First, in those two feasts, there is the consecration of the firstborn. Look at uh, chapter 30, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is in the first, to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast. It is mine. Can't say clearer. God is saying, this person is mine. Makes the same point in verse 12, doesn't it, if you look? Um, and you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb, all the firstborn of animals that are males, shall be the Lord's. It belongs to him. Now, it was a bit of a replay of what happened in Egypt, because you know, remember how... In Egypt, uh, an animal died instead of a person. And uh, what happened there would happen from now on all the time. The firstborn of the family would be saved by a substitute dying in the place of that person. And a, sub a sacrifice would redeem that person's life. Redeem just means pay for. So if you redeem your mortgage, you just paid for your mortgage. And so the firstborn is to think of himself as someone who has been redeemed, someone for whom a price has been paid. 
someone whose life has been bought but the life by the life of something else and this consecration this redemption redeeming of the firstborn was matched by the redeeming of the passover if you remember the last in the last week of jesus life in fact quite often jesus is remembered as the lamb of god well right at the end he died to buy to pay for the lives of everyone so they wouldn't die but that meant that they would also from now on belong to God and therefore every Christian has a reason to think of themselves as fully completely owned by the Lord Jesus and that's the point that uh, is made in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 to 20. First I'll read it in English. Uh, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. So I read that uh, in English. Now I'm going to uh, let you read it in Farsi. Uh, uh, those are the same words. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And the whole idea of being consecrated, set aside to live for God is because a high price has been paid for you to uh, be owned by him. But we'll come back to that in a moment. The next thing I want to, to go on and talk about is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because that immediately comes. Straight after the consecration of the first point is described, you've got in verse 3 of chapter 13, you've got the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Second time, it's been explained. And they were to eat bread without leaven, which is like yeast, as Hannah was brilliantly showing us earlier. And the point is this, if you can take all the time you want to make bread, then you can put yeast into it, and the bread becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as the yeast, as the leaven expands. Uh, but it's a problem when you leave somewhere in a hurry and they're leaving Egypt uh, at speed and therefore no yeast is used. There just wasn't the time. And so they would eat unleavened bread. Chapter 12, verse 39, and that's exactly what it says. Uh, and they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they'd brought out of Egypt for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. But if you notice, they're not just told, look, please, will you keep the leaven out of your bread? It's actually, keep the leaven out of everywhere. Look at chapter 12, verse 15, because it says, for seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, on the first day you should remove leaven out of your houses for anyone eats that draws leaven from the first day at seven, that person is to be cut off 
from Israel. So not just simply getting out of your bread, getting out of your lives completely. And if any leaven is found in the house at all, then the people are going to be completely cut off. It's really serious. You see that in chapter 15. It's repeated again, actually, for your benefit. In verse 19, for seven days no leaven is to be found in your house. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. They are to just completely get it out. In fact, actually, it almost sounds that they are going to get it out of their that land complete, not just their bread, nor just their houses, but it is going to be a, a complete getting rid of leaven from everything. And in chapter 13, when I just read it, it struck me again uh, how they were going to um, uh, just completely remove every little trace of uh, leaven that they could find. So in verse 7, no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. Wow. That's some getting rid of leaven, isn't it? That's just going everywhere. Just imagine all those tiny little bits and pieces, making sure that not, none of it in your territory. All gone. So this is more than something to do with just bread. It's an urgent action plan for people who are heading out of this slavery country and are heading into a brand new fantastic life which you can see in chapter 13 verse 5 where the land is going to be flowing with milk and honey. This wonderful life. You mustn't let leaven come and stop and spoil it and slow you down from uh, getting there. Now again, you see, that's not just a history lesson. It is an invitation for us to enter into this story. And the way we do it is to take out of our lives what is leaven or what is like yeast, what can start small and spread large through our lives, through our churches. What is it? But the Bible says our sin is exactly like that. And that's what needs to get the leaven treatment. And to remove every speck and fast and fully. And we're going to see how uh, that is something that uh, you and I need to do. We're not just watching the story. We need to be part of it. And in the New Testament, that is what the Apostle Paul tells to a church that has a small little bit of immorality going on, that everybody is overlooking. It doesn't really matter. Actually, it's quite a serious thing, but they think it's quite a small thing. And while that's still going on in their church, they're boasting that They've got a great church and God is blessing it. And so Paul has to tell them in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? 
So cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Okay, So we are now in the unleavened feast stage. Because we've had the Passover, now we're following on in the days after Passover. <coughs> Therefore, let us celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven. That is the leaven of things that are in the end sinful, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And that is 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 6 to 8. Now I think it's worth uh, ending by seeing what this might mean for three different groups of people. Well, if you're new to Christianity, it's worth seeing that if you are following Jesus, you don't just have a new life coach to give you a few tips on how to live. You are entering into an old, old story, but you're going to go and live that as you see yourself as a rescued people from slavery. And you're brought into new ownership, owned by God, <coughs> belonging to God, and living for God. Oh, you might think, but, but that sounds like slavery to me. Well, yes. But my friends, it's a slavery that brings a whole new life when you compare it to all the other slaveries that you would be in if you weren't a slave of Jesus Christ. Because let me tell you, every alternative kind of way of living is actually enslaving. Jesus said if you sin, you are a slave to sin. And people find that in horrible ways in their own experience. They find that out through addiction. That's just one example, but it is a pretty great slavery, isn't it, to be addicted to a whole variety of different things. You can be addicted to drugs, you can be addicted to alcohol. Horrible slavery, that. But not only to alcoholism, you can be addicted to workaholism. There's a whole variety of different ways in which we will be addicted to a whole variety of different things. Pornography. Even if uh, we are wonderfully caught up in looking after our children, well, actually, there can be a wrong sense of slavery if our lives are just kids and nothing else. And compared to that, the slavery of Jesus is real freedom. Let's uh, hear it from himself. These are words that he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30 in English. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 13, Farsi. It is a fantastic slavery. 
to be freed from the horrible destructive slaveries to be the slave of this new master.